0: Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Nicholas Pagard. He's a postdoc at Berkeley, uh, working in the neuroscience lab. Nick, how are you? Very well. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, I, I love talking to uh, people at Berkeley and uh, you know the higher uh, institutions because you guys are working on amazing, interesting stuff. So, tell me uh, what's going on in the lab that you're working on in particular.
1: Oh, uh, so um, then. Uh I'm sorry. I'm very okay. Uh, I hope you've been able. restart that. the question.
0: So, yeah, tell me what's 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 happening in the neuroscience lab. That you know, I know there's a lot going on in general, but what's your particular research about?
1: Oh, all right. So, uh, I develop optical systems uh, that are meant to help neuroscientists uh, solve the problems that they're trying to uh, to solve and the, the questions that they're trying to find answers to. So, I'm more of a technology developer person. And uh, what we do is we, we look at their problems and we say, you know, like for, for that particular application, you, you might need to have, you know, uh, different kinds of apparatus that is not available commercially. So we develop the type of apparatus that they exactly need to solve those problems. And, and one of the, the techniques that they are uh, really after is, is called optogenetics. It's this uh, way to uh, make the brain uh, cells and neurons sensitive to light. And, and this is something that can be done, but once you have done that, you need technologies that can allow you to connect the computer to the brain and say, we would like to write in this specific set of neurons. And this is a technology that would we'll be developing for them.
0: Why is it called uh, optogenetics? What, what does uh, the light component have to do with it?
1: So uh, it, it's a combination of optics and genetics. So it, it, it's called optogenetics because it is a uh, genetic tool uh, that can modify neurons by by having a specific proteins that is sensitive to light, uh, and, and that that protein can be expressed and created inside of the neuron. So it's it's a genetic tool. Uh, it uses um, uh, um, it uses the the genetic toolbox of the cell uh, to to create proteins that are not naturally present in the brain, and to artificially uh, add something to the brain. So it's a combination of optics and genetics.
0: How do uh, cells in the brain normally communicate? You know, did you have to make up this artificial way to do it to influence them, or are you using the natural ways that they do it?
1: Oh, no. So uh, the the brain communication is, is, is done via those neurons that communicate w- with each other uh, via synapses. Uh, that, that is something that exists in the brain that we don't touch. What we the, the only thing we do is we modify the neurons to make them sensitive to light in addition to that process. So everything else stays the same. But now, because you make the neurons sensitive to light, you're able to activate the neurons on demand by shining light at them.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess, I mean, it sounds silly, but in the brain, it's dark, you know, it's inside your skull. So um, are they naturally completely insensitive to light? I mean, was this a difficult thing to do to modify neurons so they are sensitive to light? No,
1: they are naturally non-sensitive to light. And uh Best way, perhaps, to realize that is that, you know, if you go outside and you stay in the sun, even though your your skull is kind of transparent to red light, nothing happens to your brain, which is a good thing. Uh, but we modify those uh, uh, neurons in order to make them sensitive to light for the purpose of manipulating neural activity. So this is done intentionally, and, and this is done for now on test animals, on, on mice, on zebrafish, on fruit flies, uh, hopefully one day in
0: humans, but the technology is just not there yet. Well, how do you do it? Do you have to like crack open a mouse's skull and scramble its brain around to do this, or like, what's the mechanism by which by how you sensitize the uh, neurons to light?
1: So this would be more something that my my colleagues who are neuroscientists and not more uh, not optics people uh, would be uh, uh, better at answering. But but the idea is that you you can uh, inject a virus in the brain directly via with a little needle, and and that virus will uh, colonize the cells. Uh, that are in the vicinity of the injection point and and, and express and, and modify those neurons. So this is one way to do it. There's other ways, but this is done by uh, by uh, uh, little surgery and 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 various procedures that allow you to genetically modify the, the to sorry not to to modify those neurons. And and um, more importantly, the the technique is really like uh, young. It's been developed in the past 10 years, uh, like 15 years now but it's it's a technique that is very young that is not very well controlled that is you know you can make the brain suddenly really too light, but the this, this viral injection for instance, will eventually like spread across the brain, so it's not very stable for now, but it's good enough for uh allowing neuroscientists to do what they want to do, which is to use those tools to, to figure out how the brain works and probe neural activity and and, and modify
0: neural activity on demand oh well, once you uh set up. You know a candidate's brain for this how do you go about um affecting the brain you shine lights yeah. so on the head or does the brain have to be exposed or
1: yeah so the, the there is a surgical procedure that will place basically a little glass window on top of the the brain of the of the mouse so we turn we really turn the brain of the mouse uh, into a microscope slide and then we place that mouse under the microscope and hold it still and, and, and then with the microscope objective that we bring just on top of the brain, we, we can place those holograms, which is what the technology that IDBLOX is about. And we can, we can use the computer to shoot light exactly where we want and focus light on, on specific neurons at, at the right location and at the right time. Well,
0: okay, you, you just mentioned holograms. What's, what are you trying to do? Pr- make the mouse see, for instance, things that aren't there? Or what's the goal of the research?
1: Uh, all right. So just to, uh, to to clarify, the holograms that we do are meant to place light uh, into neurons directly. So the idea is that once you have uh, placed this up genetic tool in the, in the neurons, that then make the neurons sensitive to light. So once you have modified those neurons to make them sensitive uh, to light, your goal is now to to use that tool. Which means that if you want, for instance, to replicate a particular pattern of neural activity, you would like to focus light in specific neurons at the right time and in the right location in space. So this is what the holograms are for. That is, they are tools that allow us to shape light, if you want to steer the light coming from the laser, on the right neuron at the right time. So we use holograms to create fake patterns of neural activity, or not fake, but uh, artificial patterns of neural activity uh, on demand in the brain. And so you're right in mentioning this idea thats that when your brain is active and when you're thinking, when you're uh, you know, working, there is, there is neural activity. That means that your neurons fire in, in, in ways that are not really uh, yet well understood. And what we can do with that tool, that technology, is that we can uh, create patterns of neural activity that mimic, for instance, what your brain is doing when you are experiencing a specific thought or doing a specific uh, action. And the idea is that with that, what we can do is we can put the brain in a state that replicates what would happen if you, for instance, had experienced a sensory stimulus. So the the idea is that if we if we do this correctly, we would be able, for instance, to make the brain believe something has happened, or uh, place an idea in the brain, or uh, or like evoke a sensory um, um, stimulus directly into the brain. For instance, we could just you know make an animal believe that a certain smell uh, is present, even though it's not there. So we can create, uh, if you want, virtual reality without having even to uh, stimulate the sensory part but directly by stimulating uh, the brain.
0: Could you implant knowledge into the brain, let's say how to navigate a certain maze? um, Or is this more to, uh, you know, what's the goal? Is this for therapy to help people forget things that are bad or is this to... uh, you know, stop them from having obsessive compulsive disorder. I mean, what's the whole goal of this research?
1: So these 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 are all very you know like far far uh, uh, far fetched ideas that uh, that are part of what you know in the very long term we would like to do. Right now, the the, the very first step of the, of this work is to just try to understand how the brain really works. So we we don't know much about how how the brain works. It's still very unknown. And, and and one of the reasons why we don't know much is that it's very hard to measure, record, observe what's going on in the brain without modifying its structure. You can't inject a needle in the brain without modifying how it works. You know, it's like, you know, if you want to figure out how a complex engine works, you have to stop the engine. Well, unfortunately, you can't stop the brain from working in order to observe how it, how it works. So because you have this very difficult constraint, which is that if you want to observe the brain in an animal that's uh, free to move away, uh, you, you have to be extremely minimally invasive. And, and because of that constraint, there are very few methods that allow you to study the brain without modifying the context of, of operation. You know, If you try to study uh, the brain in humans, for instance, you can place a, a person in an MRI machine. Uh, but then you will get information about you know what a brain experiences when it is an MRI machine. So uh, the difficulty is to get to the information. The difficulty is to understand how the brain works in a very natural context, and this is this has not been done uh, yet. And so with the very first step that we have developed, the technique that we developed to uh, to uh, uh, manipulate neural activity, the hope we have is to be able to understand the very basic of how the brain performs all the uh, uh, important aspects of its of its operation. That that's the very first step. Once we have more information, I think that there are many branches of research that are interested in this technology. Uh, you're right. For instance, in brain diseases, we can try to understand how brain uh, work, and, and and if we can understand how they work, we have the right tools to measure uh, what they do to the brain. We also will have technologies that help you develop better drugs. You know, for instance, the panel of drugs that's available to Treat brain diseases is pretty narrow and it's also like uh, quite uh, invasive. That is, like a lot of the drugs that are used in psychiatric uh, uh, diseases are actually have lots of uh, side effects that are uh, pretty, pretty uh, bad. And so, the idea yeah. is that if you have a tool that allows you to understand how the brain works correctly and observe the brain uh, in its disease state, uh, then you'll be able to develop. Drugs that are able to address one specific aspects of brain activity that you're trying to fix, without disturbing the rest of the uh, of, of neural activity. So this is this is one aspect. And the last one, really, which is maybe you know midterm to long term uh, idea, is that if we can communicate with the brain reliably, we will be able to connect prosthetics uh, to the body and, and do it much, with much better connection. You know, we, we all know how to make a, you know a robotic hand, for instance, but We don't have the technology to reconnect that hand to the brain and give it functionality. We can, Hmm. you know, grasp, uh, hold things, but the the amount of motion that a a robotic hand is capable of doing today is nowhere near what a a real hand can do. And so if we have the ability to communicate with the brain in a meaningful uh, way with talking to thousands, even, you know, tens of thousands of neurons, we'll be able to connect the brain in a way that is good enough so that we can exchange relevant information And and connect
0: to a prosthetic and do it really well. So is that the goal then, to be able to interact with a prosthetic better than you currently can?
1: That's one of the goals, and I think that's, uh, you know, perhaps the more reasonable long-term goal. When, when, you know, we talk to people about this technology, they say, oh, you know, uh, I I gave a talk in a a school, and and the the children, they're very creative, and they say, oh, with that technology, could you eventually, you know, uh, make me uh, read a book without me having to read it. That is you, you put the book in the computer and then the computer will place all the concepts of a book in your brain. Well, you know, this is this is something that in theory is possible, of course, but that in practice is extremely difficult to achieve. And this is, you know, way more complicated than one of the things that I think would be extremely useful, which would be the prosthetic work. Uh, there's already quite a bit of work that's being done this way, you know, like there is a what is called the Utah electrode, which is an array of electrodes that can be placed in the brain. And with that, uh, we already have technology that can uh, connect, for instance, like a a computer mouse to the brain and have a person who otherwise would be unable to communicate, being able to uh, click on a screen various letters and and, and, uh, formulate words. It's very slow, it's extremely inefficient, but it's one step. And So the idea is that if we can connect to more neurons and if we can do everything optically, then perhaps we'll be able to really accelerate Uh, that type of uh, uh, communication. Well, what
0: seems the easiest to understand so far? You know, I mean, it's all difficult, but, uh, you know, what do you think are going to be some of the first applications? And what do you think are going to be later ones that are, like, really difficult? The
1: the first applications that are within uh, our reach right now is to really try to understand uh, very simple uh, uh, connectivity uh, in in the brain. That is... uh, the way the brain is wired, the way the brain is functionally wired, is still unknown to us. But even if we are able to only talk to, you know, up to 15 neurons at once, which is what we can do right now, uh, there, there will be uh, quite a bit of experiments—experiments that up to, to this day were considered infeasible—that now become uh, possible to do. And so we have a technology that is better than what existed previously that gives us some level of control over. Uh, a mouse brain. And so there is a whole lot of experiments that are, you know, very fundamental neuroscience experiments that aim to understand how uh, various parts of the brain are connected to each other and how they, how they talk and how they, they encode stimulus and, and all that. And 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 all these experiments now become possible. So right now, it, unfortunately for a, a broader audience, uh, right now everything seems extremely boring from... Uh, the general perspective. That is, we're trying to understand how the brain works. That first step is extremely boring for uh, anybody who, uh, for instance, would be listening to this podcast, but um, it's extremely exciting for all the neuroscientists that are trying to understand how the brain works, because this is a tool that allows them to probe the brain without being extremely invasive, without massive surgery, uh, and, and without uh, cutting into the brain. And so that tool is important to understand how the brain works, and, and one of the things that we're trying to do is to make this uh, miniaturizable, so it can be put on a mouse uh, that will not have to be restrained and, and, and stuck under the microscope. So there is plenty of work mm-hmm. in this area. Unfortunately, at this state of, of where research is heading, everything is still happening in the lab. The practical medical applications are, are still, you know, one more step forward, and 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 really the main issue that will have to be solved for. All this work to come to um, to medical applications is to uh, have the optogenetic methods uh, made compatible with 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 usage in humans, which is uh, still far from being uh, uh, feasible right now. But the hopes are high. There's plenty of work in that direction, so uh, there is no reason to uh, to, to to not work uh, in this direction and to not prepare for, for the future, considering the possibilities
0: of, of this habit. Well, you said you can only control uh, about 50 neurons <clears throat> so far. How complicated are the processes in the mouse brain or the human brain? Do they involve millions of neurons or only a couple hundred? It, it, it,
1: it, it wildly depends on, on what processes we're talking about. There, there, there's there been papers in the literature explaining how you know one neuron uh, can be enough uh, to control specific uh, aspects of, of brain activity uh, there is evidence that for uh, many aspects of brain activity uh, the number of neurons being involved ranges from thousands of neurons to millions of neurons at once. and and considering that the human brain has 100 billion neurons that can be an order of magnitude of like the, the scale that which we're really uh, talking about and so the more the merrier of course uh, but but right now with sixty neurons mostly the the limit is not related to uh, to uh, our ability to focus light on those neurons, but rather by heat, because we use very, very powerful uh, infrared lasers to, um, to focus light on the brain. Uh, the idea is that if we can change the type of light that we use uh, to, to focus light on the brain, uh, we'll be able to, to, to talk to many more neurons than, than just uh, 50 that we've achieved, right?
0: So it's because of the wavelength of light and the type of light that's what limits you right now?
1: Yeah. So we use uh, what is called a multiphoton process. In which uh, you rely on a nonlinear response, where uh, you, sh- you basically focus light onto your neuron, and, and, and the neuron is not naturally sensitive to, to those that that wavelength. But if you ramp up the power uh, of your laser high enough, uh, you end up being in a situation where two photons can be absorbed at the same time and and bring uh, create the the right uh, transition of, of energy levels that you that you're after. It's, it's a nonlinear process. It's meant to really enhance how well you can focus light into the brain. Uh, I don't think I want to go into the, the details of how this works, but this is this is a nonlinear process, and, and it's meant to uh, improve uh, special resolution and improve your ability to target one neuron and not the, the, the hundreds of neurons that are in the vicinity of, this, of the specific neuron that you're trying to target. And so this is a... a, a a difficult task to achieve, and for that we use femtosecond uh, lasers that that uh, emit very, very brief pulses of light on on the order of magnitude mm-hmm. you know hundred femtoseconds, which is very, very short. And and these are these are advanced light sources. That are difficult to miniaturize, and also because it's a nonlinear process, it's extremely inefficient. Which means that for every uh, uh, neuron, you need a significant amount of light, uh, and, and and you need very high power. And because light eventually gets dissipated. Uh, That means that anything that you don't use to activate the neurons becomes turned into heat, and that heat will basically uh, be absorbed throughout the the body. So the idea is that you have safety margin, which means that at low energy level, uh, at low energy, you'll be able to talk to neurons. But if you really put too much light into the brain, then you'll be cooking the brain, which is definitely not what we're trying to do.
0: Right. What's going to be a breakthrough for you? is it going to be when you reach a certain threshold of, you know, a hundred or 500 neurons that you can talk to, or, you know, what do you think, where do you think the breakthrough think is going to come from? The
1: the the breakthrough that, that we, that many labs are, are after and that, that we, we also are, are looking for, forward to is today we'll be able to demonstrate that we've been able to fool uh, a mouse uh, with, uh, with uh, artificially evoked uh, neural activity. That is, uh, if we can make a mouse believe that some advanced sensory stimulus has been presented to it, even though it hasn't been. And so that that is, you know, really like creating uh, artificial sensory perception uh, into the brain. And that has not been done yet because what, what you need to do for that, you need to replicate patterns of neural activity that are extremely complex. And so the technology wasn't there. Now we have a tool that is much better to do that. And so what we're trying to do is to uh evoke a sen- sensory stimulus uh see what happens in the brain observe the neurons that fire and then replicate that sequence and see if we can make the mouse believe that a particular stimulus that was presented before has been presented again uh even though it has not mm. So this is by far uh the most exciting short-term uh breakthrough that that you know is going to be like a a, a big milestone in the field for for whichever research group tries to uh, 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 and succeed in, in making that happen.
0: Well, I mean, wouldn't that be disturbing to you, uh, you know, if you're able to implant memories into someone?
1: What would you mean disturbing?
0: I don't know. I mean, think what happens when you get to uh, to people, you know, if you can implant false memories or implant things oh, yeah. that well, uh, they just, didn't, you know.
1: This is far down in, 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 you know, many,
0: many years from now.
1: But right now, if, if you ask me about what will be the the first milestone, I think that the moment we can demonstrate that we can place simple uh, concepts or thoughts into a, into a mouse, then that will be the, the first and 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 quite an impressive breakthrough. That is that will demonstrate that we have the ability to use that technology that can write into individual neurons to, to communicate with the brain and, and to write uh, processes into into the brain. That that in itself is is already a big milestone. What that means is that. Uh, we will be able to connect, for instance, a prosthetic to a mouse. And that in itself is a big transition. The moment someone can demonstrate that, uh, I think that the funding for developing optogenetic tools that are compatible with humans uh, is going to be uh, much higher and, and, and that much more effort will be steered this way.
0: Okay. Very good. So um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with the lab or with you to find out more, you know, suggest collaboration, ask questions, that kind of thing?
1: Um, so to, to get connected to our lab, we, we have a lab website. If uh, anyone has questions about you know, optics, optical technologies, uh, I have my own website with a contact form. People can contact me there. Um, more importantly, if, if people from you know, uh, scientific background and interested in neuroscience uh, are willing to discuss this field, uh, we organize a series of conferences. Uh, one of them will be in London uh, in about a year from now. Uh, that are specifically on sculpted light in the brain, which is the branch of research we're in, which is basically tools that use holography and various ways to shape light in order to uh, uh, manipulate uh, neural activity. Uh, There's plenty of ways to contact us. Uh, Email is usually the the best way. Uh, We try to answer questions as much as possible. Uh, There is no bad question. Uh, the, the limiting factor really is how much time we have, because we're, we're all very busy, but uh, it's always a pleasure to see someone taking interest in, in what we're doing, and we're really trying to uh, make sure we, uh, we answer every question to anyone who, who is interested in the field, even people who don't have scientific background or have, like, our science enthusiasts who are not working in the area. Uh, there is no bad question. By all means, contact us. We'll do our best to, uh,
0: to answer questions. Very good. Well, Nicholas, thank you for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Hey, you have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, three D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.